I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Amy Hoffman, Policy Director at the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, a nonprofit organization working to close the digital divide. She joins the show to discuss the federal government's $2.75 billion Digital Equity Act and a new toolkit that the National Digital Inclusion Alliance is publishing this week to help states and territories develop their digital equity plans. We talk through some of the specifics of that toolkit, including what stakeholders to include in the digital equity planning process, how the Digital Equity Act should work in coordination with the $42.5 billion BEAD program, and more. All right. Amy, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, so before we dive in to talk in detail about the toolkit that NDIA has put out this week, um, why don't you quickly introduce yourself and, and your role at the organization? I'd love to. Um, I'm Amy Huffman. I'm the policy director for the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. I'm based in Durham, North Carolina, and I've been with the organization for about a year and a half. Previous, prior to joining NDIA, I worked for North Carolina's broadband office for nine years, where I had the pleasure and opportunity to get to stand up some of our digital equity programming. That's okay. That's really awesome. What a great history and what a unique experience to work in a state broadband office. Um, So we're going to be talking about your toolkit on the Digital Equity Act, um, your toolkit for states. So first, can you give us a quick primer on the Digital Equity Act and why it matters? In other words, why was it important to pass this in addition to infrastructure bills? This is a great question, and I'm glad you asked it first. So the Digital Equity Act was actually first introduced in 2019 by Washington Senator, Senator Patty Murray. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was a little less than half of what it ended up being when it finally passed. Um, It was reintroduced into 2021, again, by Senator Patty Murray, but others joined on to it, Senator King, Senator Portman from Ohio. And then it was included in the Bipartisan Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that was passed just, or signed into law just a little over a year ago. Um, And it ended up being $2.75 billion, which is the most we've ever had for digital equity. And it's really important that we address as we're building out the pipes and wires to make sure that everyone's connected and has the access that they need to get online, that people also have access to the skills and um, devices and that the internet's actually affordable for not just... um, the richest Americans, but also low-income households and middle-class households. And so the Digital Equity Act provides that groundwork. It um, It is three grant programs, three grants housed in two programs. The first is the State Digital Equity Capacity Grant Program, and that's the one that has two separate grants. The first grant is a $60 million set aside for planning grants, which is what our toolkit is supposed to help with. And we'll talk much more about that later. But then there's also the capacity awards or a fancy word for implementation. So there's funding once states and territories and tribal organizations create their plans, there's money set aside to implement the plans. Um, and you had to create a plan in order to be eligible for the implementation awards. 
And then there's um, funding of about $1.25 billion set aside for competitive awards. And that's for any organization across the country to apply directly to the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, which they are the ones that are um, the grantor for all these, the Digital Equity Act grants. Um, so the competitive awards um, are for programs that, you know, people that are helping uh, people learn how to use the internet, how to use a computer, how to use Microsoft Word, or any uh, helping people get signed up for the Affordable Connectivity Program, things of that nature. So those awards are also part of the um, Digital Equity Act. And all of this is done, um, is part of the total $65 billion that was included in the Infrastructure Act um, that is dedicated towards broadband. So there's about $48 billion that NTI is managing, 42.5 of that is for the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program, which is, I like to think of that as the deployment program as getting the pipes and wires to the households across the country where there aren't any. And then there's the digital equity, which is again, to help support actually using the internet in a meaningful right. and impactful way. Gotcha, okay, great. Great overview of uh, those programs. There's a lot of a lot of steps in one program. Um, so your uh, state toolkit is kind of helping with step one, which is uh, getting the plan together, which is sort of the whole the whole thing. You need the plan to implement the programs. So um, tell me a little bit about the toolkit and what it's offering to states. Um, why did NDIA feel that states were going to need a toolkit like this? So I think I'll start with the why first. So. Um... So everything I just said, and that was a mouthful, and probably even your listeners had trouble following all those different numbers <laughs> and, and different programs and all the all the various acronyms. And if your listeners are feeling that way, trust me, the, the states who are um, the ones that are tasked with implementing these programs and writing these plans also feel that way. So, right. so there's a lot flying at states right now. And in Congress, and I think it's 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 a good thing actually, because Congress rightly recognized that states have a really big role to play in in um, ensuring that all residents have access to the internet and are able to use it. And so a lot so both the BEAD, which is the deployment program, and the Digital Equity Act program um, provide a lot of funding and responsibility for states, state governments to to really lead the charge in ensuring that their residents have these things. However, <laughs> having come from a broadband office, I'm keenly aware of the limitations that state offices have um, in hiring, in um, capacity, and in in the in all of those types of things. When I worked for the state of North Carolina, I was the only uh, state person, <laughs> that's not a position in the country that was dedicated to digital equity and digital inclusion. Um, wow. No other state broadband office had a digital equity person. Now, since then, many state broadband offices have created that position and hired, and we're seeing people join broadband offices every day um, to work on digital equity. A lot of that is in response to this act, but um, just like any level of government, the hiring process is cumbersome, can be slow, and to get people up to speed quickly um, is really important right now. The states only have one year to create these digital equity plans, 
And then they also simultaneously have to be creating a plan for the bead program, which they have 270 days to do that. So once they receive their funds, the shot clock starts. And Mm -hmm. again, with limited staff and capacity and various things in the way of gaining that staff and capacity, we knew that even the states that could hire quickly, they'd need to hit the ground running. And we wanted to provide as much support as we could for those folks. Um, Because without good plans, the implementation will falter. And so it's really important that the plans are robust and impactful and and actually involve community and in part of the planning process. And so that's why we created the, the toolkit. And then the other, um, the toolkit itself, we hope uh, it's it's really tactical and really tactile. So it has a lot of step-by-step processes, um, advice for, you know, when to do what, and then also a lot of in, advice and guidance on how. So we really lean into a couple key areas um, to really advise the state. So one is is how to engage community meaningfully throughout the process. I think that's mm-hmm. really, really, really <laughs> underlined multiple times important um, yeah. for plans to come out looking the way that they should and to actually have a real impact. Um, States should be co-creating this with community and community throughout the state and not just the normal people that they go to for everything. They really need to unearth uh, lived experts who actually are living within the digital divide to really understand the realities and what solutions may look like for them. Um, And so we really lean into that and provide a lot of guidance around that along with um, templates and, and uh, dissecting the, the NOFO, which is, uh, or Notice of Funding Opportunity, excuse me. I promised myself I wouldn't. Please, I do it all the time. <laughs> it's <laughs> really do. hard not to speak in full acronym when you're talking about this oh stuff. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> um, we dissect the Notice of Funding Opportunity in the Act, and, and um I feel like NTA did a really good job of interpreting Congress's intent, um, but then even some things like um, measurable objectives. That that's a, 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 ca- a category that the states are required to have in their plans, um, but it's a little it's a little vague. It's a little mm-hmm. it's a little uh, hard to figure out what what that means. And so we spend a good bit of time explaining what a measurable objective is and then how to create. Um, solid, measurable objectives. Right. Okay. So the toolkit basically is like, from start to end, here's how uh, you meet the requirements of the notice of funding opportunity. Here's what these requirements actually mean. If you don't understand them, here are the people you need at the table when you're creating this plan and step by step by step from from then on. So I wanted to come back to the the community engagement aspect of this. I, I read through the toolkit. I think it's excellent. It really does feel like no matter what step you are already at in the process with your state broadband office, it feels like you could jump into this toolkit and find your way the rest of the way through. So I do think it's a, it's a great resource. Um, the community engagement and the voices that are involved piece of this feels like the most important thing to get right, um, because so often so much of this is guided by the wrong voices, perhaps with the not the intentions that line up with the needs of the people. Um, so can you talk to me a little bit more about what the who those voices are that should be at the table for creating these plans and maybe who shouldn't be involved at certain steps of this process 
Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for one, for your compliments. <laughs> and two, your really succinct summary. I think that was um, much, much more succinct than I, than I, my rambling. Um, no, no, you're not rambling. <laughs> I'm the host. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we, I, I, so for both the bead five-year action plan and the digital equity act plans, um, states and territories and district of Columbia are all really like community engagement is a, is a requirement. It's not an option. Um, it's just not everyone has done this before. And so we wanted to provide a lot of guidance on how to do it and do it well. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, who should be at the table? It should be, um, we have a really nice graphic in our toolkit that I love um, that encourages, um, because it can be overwhelming. If you start to think, oh, we have to include everybody, you know, that can be overwhelming. But one, to, to zero in like your, like a bullseye, to, to for at least for the digital equity plans, to, to first um, really connect with folks who've been doing this work forever. So it's their digital equity is their bread and butter. This is what they do. It's the core mission of their organization. It's organizations like device refurbishers, where they they take old used revi- devices, they refurbish them, they give them out to low income households or or folks in need, and make sure um, that they continue to work. And they often even sometimes provide skills training, that sort of thing. It's other folks who are helping people get signed up for the affordable connectivity program. It's those types of organizations. So those folks should have absolutely have a seat at the table. And in a a meaningful way. So maybe they should be part of what we call a core planning team. Mm -hmm. Planning team is that that team that's going to help advise throughout the entire 12-month process and really be engaged and help you get your, if you have surveys or whatever, get that out to the broader community. Um, Second, we really think that states should include and when I say states, I'm going to say, I, I really do mean states, territories, and the District of Columbia. I'm just using that mm-hmm. shorthand. Um, we really do think that they should include um, those that second ring of folks who, ha- who um, do digital inclusion work, but maybe don't, that's not all they do. So libraries are the perfect example of this. So libraries do a lot of digital inclusion work and, and have been for decades, but they also do other things, right? So most libraries still have books, not all of them, but, but most of them do. And they have like, um, you know, story time and, and things like that. So, so it's a part of what they do, but it's not all of what they do. Um, we also think states should include um, specifically working with, so there's the act calls for states to um, design solutions and also identify barriers to digital equity for covered what they term covered populations. And those are really the most vulnerable, oppressed and disadvantaged populations. When you think of, 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 of who those folks are, it's um, low income households, minorities, veterans, etc. There's eight different covered populations outlined in the act. And so um, we, we think uh, states should work with organizations that represent those folks. So maybe it's a, um, you know, it's, it's the, the veterans, uh, sector Mm -hmm. or a senior center, right. Um, folks that work directly with those covered populations who maybe don't do digital inclusion, but really understand those populations and those needs so that those needs can be well represented within the plan. 
And then finally, there's probably other folks out there who are interested in this, but maybe haven't been engaged yet that they should, um, the state should uh, work with. Now, we think that, you know, states should try and cast as broad a net as they can in terms of engagement. Um, however, there's levels to it, right? So not everyone will be on your core planning team. Really right. have an impactful core planning team. You probably, you know, anywhere between five and 15. You probably don't want many more than that. And then you're going to have other layers too, right? You'll probably want to have focus groups, interviews, um, regional meetings, and then, um, you know, maybe they have a kickoff event. Many states have been doing that. You want to invite the broadest audience to like say that kickoff meeting, but you don't necessarily want all of those folks in the core planning team. So it's like a pyramid. We are advising states to be really careful about when to um, engage with internet service providers in this process too, right? Internet service providers probably should not be in the core planning team because when working for towards digital equity, the subject matter experts who've been living this day in and day out should be the ones advising this process. Internet service providers, of course, and a very important partner that should be engaged, but probably more in like a regional meeting setting, not necessarily mm-hmm. in the core planning team. Right. Makes total sense. Um, so I think you kind of covered this a little bit. The toolkit uh, talks also about leveraging existing digital inclusion resources within communities um, to, for states to look for those and incorporate them into their into their plans. You mentioned, you know, just a few minutes ago, device refurbishers. I didn't even think of that as a touch point for digital equity, but there must be so many um, resources like that uh, that might not come to mind. Um, what are what do you suggest that uh, in terms of existing resources that states try to look for and incorporate? Yeah, so states are required to do an asset inventory, and so what we suggest is is again going through um, that that kind of target or I don't know, <laughs> looking for folks who are directly engaged in digital inclusion and then working your way out from there and, and including that in their asset inventory. And their asset inventory is essentially a human inventory. You're looking for the people who are um, already doing digital inclusion work and or are really excited about it. Um, a couple places you can look is our website. <laughs> We have over a thousand affiliates right now across the country in 48 states, two territories in the District of Columbia. So um, there's definitely, almost definitely someone in your state that's that's doing digital inclusion work that you can find on our website. Um, In addition, there's a lot of, um, I think there's maybe about 20 different digital inclusion coalitions across the country at this point in time. Um, and the and coalitions are really um, great place to understand what's going on in the ground on the ground, who's doing what, um, and they are a really important touch point for disseminating information, for partnering in the implementation, for for so many different aspects of both the planning process and the future implementation. Um, they often include all of those different types of organizations I previously listed out. The libraries, gotcha. schools, the um, you know the nonprofits that do this work day in and day out. Um, 
And so coalitions are really important. So we, we know of, of a lot of them. So, you know, there's one in San Antonio, Texas. There's several in North Carolina where I'm based, one in Durham, right in my backyard. There's um, a really great one in Franklin County, Ohio. Um, so those we definitely encourage if, if states aren't already connected with them to, to get connected. Um, and then the part of doing an asset inventory and, and the asset minded approach is, is look is just remembering that there are assets throughout the entire state. Um, it's not it's not a deficit or a problem that has to be solved. Instead, there's it's thinking about building up the existing assets. So so looking for those gems and investing in them. And every state has them. Um, it's just a matter of finding them. Okay. Um, so you spoke a little bit earlier about the BEAD program. That's more of the deployment program. Um, so BEAD and the Digital Equity Act were essentially designed to uh, complement each other. I think your toolkit touches on how the um, states can accomplish that through their planning. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So there are some... Um there are some key touch points, but then there's also some sort of processes that states should take to to align the plans. Um, so in general, you know, we, we think um, the processes that they should like, they need to be intentional about this. This isn't just going to happen for them to align unless there's real thought and intention put behind it. So so I've, I've been advising states to set up weekly meetings <laughs> with between between their bead team and their digital equity team. Um, some of these, in some states, these efforts are housed within the same office and some they're in completely different agencies. And so for those folks, it's really important to be intentional about setting up meetings. But even if it's like in the same small office, people's calendars are so full these days. If there's not time set aside to be sitting down talking about this weekly, it's not going to happen. So that's really important. And then um, we, you know, if, if they determine to have a core planning team, we encourage them to have a, a bead person on the digital equity team and a digital equity person on the bead team, um, you know, common sense stuff, but it's, it's important to be thoughtful about this on the front end. The stakeholder engagement piece, we really, really encourage states to do um, together. So for a couple reasons. Um, for both planning processes. So first, because again, these are small offices. Offices. Some of them are two people or some of them are one people shops. And yep. so if they're traveling around their, their state or territory by them, you know, they, they cannot do that twice. They can't go to individual communities twice um, and get these done in, in the time frame that they have. In addition, um, we really think it's really important for stakeholder, the people on the ground. Um, if you don't have internet, you don't have internet. And if one person from the state comes to you on Monday and asks you why you don't have internet, but is framed in a deployment way. And then another person comes on Wednesday and asks why you don't have internet, but is framed, framed in a digital equity way, you're just going to be frustrated. You're going to feel not heard. You're going to feel um, that the state's wasting your time, that they're not going to do anything for you. And so it's really important for states to coordinate these, these outreach and, and engagement efforts so as to not, you know, to not put that burden of having to repeat themselves on the lived experts on the ground. 
Yeah. That's such a good point. Um, that said, we do think want states to be intentional about how they do that and to remember power dynamics. And so maybe they set up multiple different sessions in one day with different stakeholder groups, but to, to really be, um, to, to leverage the days. of <laughs> Yeah. Um, right. And then there's some other areas that uh, states can align the data. There's a lot of the similar, there's 13 requirements in the BEAD plan, uh, the BEAD five-year action plan, and 15 in the digital equity. And I think at least nine of them overlap. Um, A lot of the data, there's an asset map required in the BEAD plan. There's an asset map required in the digital equity plan. And so they should not be doing asset mapping twice. They should be doing it at the same time same information, same spreadsheet, even data collection tools so that it doesn't come out looking different in each plan. Um, And then in the bead plan, there are requirements for affordability. And so that's a really key touch point that we'd love to see states think critically about and how they, they get to define what's called a low cost broadband service option. So what does that look like? And the, I, I suspect they'll unearth things in the digital equity planning process that will inform what that should look like. And then there's also a middle class plan requirement that states are required to have in the digital in the bead plan. And that's another area where there's a really key touch point. And there's not a, t- I mean, $2.75 billion is a lot, but that's not a it's not an unending amount of money. And so if there's ways to ensure, you know, leverage both of the bead program to ensure that the, the bead funded networks are affordable for everyone, then that will really help the implementation of the digital equity act. Got it. Okay. So um, I, of course, every state is different. Every community is different, but um, can you offer any existing examples of digital equity or inclusion plans that states can draw from or that your toolkit's pointing to? Sure. So um, so I will say on our website, we have uh, what's called the uh, trailblazers. And those are local governments who are doing really trailblazing digital equity work. And many of them have a digital equity plan. And so you can go on our website and see those digital equity plans. Um, Long Beach, California is a really great example of a a really good digital equity plan. Um, They did a lot of this. In fact, we learned a lot from them of this really deep community engagement and co-creation with community Um, and even finished it during the pandemic. They started it before COVID, but then finished it during the pandemic. It was really, um, it was really encouraging and also, um, uh, enlightening to see how they went about doing that. Um, I can't finish this conversation without talking about my great state, North Carolina. Um, by the end of the year, we'll have over, we have a hundred counties and we'll have over, we'll have 50 digital inclusion plans across the country, across the state. Um, wow. And that, that is because of some really great people who've done really great work and um, in a small grant program housed at the Institute of Emerging Issues called Band NC that um, encourages these plans, but um, there's several across the state that are, I, I think are really well uh, crafted and, and including one in Forsyth County. Um, and then there's some regional um, plans, for instance, in the Land of Sky region, which is the westernmost part of the state, they, they create a plan for four counties 
um, and um, looked at all different things and have, have a great, great roadmap for closing the digital divide in those really rural for mountainous counties. Um, and then uh, in Frank, again, Franklin County, Ohio, um, which is the county for the for Columbus, the city of Columbus. And um, that county has put together, they first created a framework back during COVID and now they've iterated on that and created a, a really nice plan that um, we're excited about. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I recall from earlier in this conversation that you were the one person leading digital equity initiatives in North Carolina. So those great people certainly includes you in terms of who got that done in that state. So congratulations and and well done. That's an amazing example for the rest of the country. Um, So lastly, and then I'll let you get back to solving digital equity and inclusion issues for the United States of America. Um, uh, These states and territories and Washington, D.C. need to get their plans approved. Certainly reading your toolkit is a great way to do that. But if there's anything additional you wanted to mention on getting those plans approved, please do so. And uh, also is what is NDIA going to do besides drop a link to this toolkit on the internet and hope everybody sees it. Are you planning webinars, any, any particular outreach uh, you're going to be doing basically probably from here on out after we hang up <laughs> this call? Yeah. So, you know, I think what I just encourage the states to do is really to, in territories and DC is to just really, you know, step back, take a breath, um, and, and map out, it's, many of them have just received their funds or about to, so they're still in the beginning stages of the summer further along, like Louisiana received their funds in August. So they, they, they're running, but if they haven't started yet to, to create, you know, a roadmap, what they plan to do month by month for the next year, and particularly around stakeholder engagement, where they're going to go when, and go ahead and just get that on the calendar now map it out and they'll feel a lot better. I think, um, second read our, read our toolkit. I do think it will be helpful. Um, and then third, of course, pay attention, pay close attention to anything that NTI is putting out because that will, will only help them. Um, and yeah, so we have actually been since September, we have been hosting workshops for the states and territories and the district of Columbia, um, on the toolkit before it was released. So we've been we've been talking about this content with them at two-day workshops uh, for the past few months. And at this point, 41 states, four territories, and the District of Columbia have attended at least one of the workshops. So we're thrilled about that. And we've been we were hosting those um, in a very close partnership with the Federal Reserve Banks across the country. And so it was a really great partnership. Um, moving forward, yes, we're not just, we'll, we'll drop the link, but we'll also have a lot of social media, um, a webinar potentially in January. Um, there's a lot between now and the end of the year. <laughs> um, yeah. And then Inc- incredible timing on all of this. And then, uh, we will also <laughs> probably host another one of these workshops virtually for anyone that wasn't able to attend and would like to attend, um, on how to, you know, how to actually put this into practice, take what, what the toolkit says and put it into practice. Um, and then, you know, uh, I don't know <laughs> well, just, uh, <laughs> if anyone would like us to speak about it, we'd be happy to, um, but we'll certainly be making sure it gets into everyone's hands. 
Fantastic. Well, we'll obviously include a link to it in this podcast uh, text, wherever that appears. And um, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk with me about it. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us, Nicole. It's um, really an honor to be here and it's really exciting to get to talk about it. Awesome. I love talking about it with you. Congratulations on the release and good luck with it. Thank you. Thank you again, Amy, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landreau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.